President Biden set to visit the Texas border, but the big news comes before his visit. This new process is orderly, it's safe, and it's humane. We dig into the new rules for asylum seekers, how they could slow the flow of migrants crossing the border. Texas has a record amount of money available to spend, and it's fueling calls for property tax relief. We go in-depth with one of the leaders of the effort to return revenue to homeowners. High-profile murder cases where the accused killers are parolees who cut off their ankle monitors. It has the governor calling on lawmakers to take action. I want to make sure that those reforms actually address the real problems of ankle monitors. The concern from victims and advocates amid the push for tougher punishment. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. President Joe Biden announced plans to visit the border for the first time since he's been in office. He's scheduled to stop in El Paso today. Before his trip, he announced his plans to discourage migrants from trying to cross the border without authorization. He's telling them to apply for asylum in their home countries instead. Washington correspondent Anna Wernicke looks closer at the plan. The Biden administration is launching new rules to promote legal migration and punish anyone who tries to cross the border illegally. We can't stop people from making the journey, but we can require them to come here, that they come here in an orderly way under U.S. law. Thursday, President Biden said he's expanding a parole program to accept up to 30,000 migrants per month from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. This new process is orderly. It's safe and it's humane. The announcement comes after weeks of Republicans pressuring the president to act. The Biden policies have made the Border Patrol the welcoming committee now. Republicans say border agents are on the verge of losing control of the border. To make sure that doesn't happen, once Title 42 ends, the administration will return to enforcing Title 8, which expels migrants without a legal basis to remain in the country and bans them from seeking re-entry for five years. Let me be clear. Title 42 or not, the border is not open. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says DHS is already implementing the new measures. But Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn says it's not enough. Secretary Mayorkas thinks the border is secure. But anybody with uh, eyes in their head and ears to hear can see and hear that that's not the case. Anna Warnicke for State of Texas. You heard Senator Cornyn criticize Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, but other Republicans are taking their criticism to another level. That includes Texas Congressman Pat Fallon. He's among a group of Republicans vowing to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. Fallon says this securing the border means putting someone else in charge at DHS. The president planned a Sunday morning visit to El Paso, and that city is still under a state of emergency after the number of migrant crossings spiked in mid-December, but the numbers have dropped significantly in the past few weeks. In the week of December 11th, Border Patrol agents apprehended an average of more than 2,200 migrants each day. At the end of that week, the mayor declared a state of emergency. The next week saw National Guard troops close off a popular illegal crossing. The number of apprehensions dropped to around 1,500 per day. The week after Christmas saw another decline with just over 1,100 migrants apprehended each day. 
Also, the Supreme Court issued a ruling keeping Title 42 restrictions in place at the border. The average dropped even more after the new year to around 850 per day through the first five days of this week. This is a big week in Texas politics. Lawmakers will return to the state capitol on Tuesday to start the next legislative session. But one of the key moments shaping the path of the session happens on Monday. That's when State Comptroller Glenn Hagar will reveal the biennial revenue estimate. It tells lawmakers how much money they'll have to spend as they work on the state budget. Hagar has said the state will have more money available than ever before. That outlook is fueling the push for property tax relief. Both the governor and lieutenant governor have vowed to work toward that goal. One of the key players in making that happen could be State Senator Paul Bettencourt. The Houston Republican serves on the Senate Finance Committee. Capitol reporter Ryan Chandler spoke with the senator to get insight on how plans for reform could affect Texans. I'd be interested to hear what your conversations have been leading up to session with the lieutenant governor about what property tax relief is going to look like this time around. Well, the first is good news. We've had some success where um, in many of the major urban areas of the state, uh, Austin, San Antonio, Houston, homestead tax bills are actually down. And I'm talking about the overall bill, not just the school portion, because the state's been buying down the school tax rates and increasing the homestead exemptions with votes from the public. So for the first time, it looks like we got some sustainable property tax uh, relief. And for over 65 and disabled homeowners, they're actually going to start getting cuts in their tax bills next year. So now we've got billions more to spend and we're going to take more action uh, because uh, long-term property tax relief is good not only for homeowners but business owners. And it's especially good to keep the Texas economic engine going, which is jobs and job creation. And that means uh, more businesses relocating here and they'll do it when they see the tax rates are lower uh, long term. You know, the governor has advocated for spending a, a sizable chunk of the budget surplus this year on property taxes. The lieutenant governor uh, has some other ideas of how we can do it. How much of the surplus do you think the Senate would like to spend on, on property taxes? Well, the answer is billions. I just can't tell you how many. Okay, so now a lot of it depends upon when you look at the overall problem, we're going to continue the tax compression. That's already been a big success this year where people can flip over their tax bills right now and look at them and see that their tax rates in schools are less than they were last year. And that's even including people voting in many cases for bond issue increases. Um, so, um, and we're gonna be looking at more exemption increases for both homes and businesses, uh, looking at what is a good package of tax relief uh, going forward. Uh, we are constrained by things because we, we, there's only, unlike the federal government, who has no limits on anything they do because they'll just borrow another trillion dollars. We actually have a balanced budget amendment and tax relief actually counts against that under the constitutional spending cap. So all this is, has to be squeezed into a, a package. And that's why I can say, I think we'll be adding billions of more relief for sure between compression and these other ideas. I just can't give you a total number yet. But you wouldn't be for busting that spending cap to get more property tax relief? Well, part of it is that when you look at this, to do that, 
you have to get constitutional two-thirds votes. So there will be bills that I'll offer that will ask the public to vote on these issues like they did in May. You know, do you want to increase the homestead exemption? And you let them vote on it, and that's an answer. And Or a business uh, inventory exemption, for example. And you let the public vote on it, and that's a way to get the public's approval of doing something like that with that type of excess money above the cap. However, all this has to be put in a package and uh, everyone has to vote for it initially. And we don't have all those decisions done yet. But but I will expect that the, that the public, like they did in May, will get a chance to vote on more of these issues again after the session. Because there's nothing wrong with letting people vote on their own money. Because that's really what this excess you know, uh, tax collections are, it's the public's money. So I'm for one, always want to get, let people vote on keeping their money in the form of, a, of tax relief. Senator Betancourt told us he also plans to file a new round of election integrity legislation. This time it's in response to election problems in Harris County. The county faced technical and staffing issues both in the primary and in the November election. It led to an investigation into how Harris County officials handled ballots during the election. And one of Betancourt's former Senate colleagues will now be in charge of overseeing Texas elections. Governor Abbott appointed former State Senator Jane Nelson as the new Secretary of State. Nelson served three decades in the Texas Senate before retiring last year. Most notably, she served as the chair of the Senate Finance Committee and was the first woman to serve in that role. Nelson was scheduled to take the oath of office Saturday. She does still face a confirmation vote in the Senate. Jobs, education, health care. Big issues facing Texas loom ahead of the legislative session. Coming up, we dig deeper with a group working toward nonpartisan policy solutions to address challenges facing our state. Criminals on parole cutting off ankle monitors designed to keep track of them. The consequences are light. We dig into the governor's call on lawmakers to pump up the punishment. Just days before the start of the legislative session, Governor Abbott is calling on lawmakers to toughen penalties on parolees who cut off their ankle monitors. It comes after two high-profile murder cases in the Dallas area, including the deadly shootings of two workers inside Methodist Hospital last October. But our Monica Madden found there are other cases as well. She digs deeper into what advocates say any new laws need to do in Texas. I don't have a best friend anymore. I can't. I don't have anyone to call on a bad day. Candace Atwood's best friend, Catherine Dyer, was murdered in Austin in 2015. We're just at a loss. We want justice. Dyer's then boyfriend, Kevin Michael Wagsback, was charged with murder, but skipped town days before his trial. He's out there. We have no clue, no leads, nothing. For Atwood, the worst part is he fled after a judge granted the removal of his GPS ankle monitor. That judge is what has caused us hell these past years. Stories like theirs are why Governor Greg Abbott is calling for ankle monitor reform in the upcoming session. In a letter to top legislative leaders Wednesday, he said Texas cannot allow violent criminals back into our communities, calling for more criminal penalties for parolees who cut off their ankle monitors and prioritizing their arrest. It's not a deterrent for folks that are not 
ready to follow the conditions of their supervision. Criminal justice advocates like Jennifer Toon say any law changes need to go further than just adding criminal penalties. I want to make sure that those reforms actually address the real problems of ankle monitors. And for Atwood, she just never wants to see this happen to anyone else. We would have had our closure by now, but we don't get that because that judge chose to let him off his monitor. Monica Madden, State of Texas. The governor called on the TDCJ and the Board of Pardons and Paroles to investigate after the three Dallas area murders we mentioned earlier. The suspects are parolees who cut off their ankle monitors. The report was sent to the governor in the last week of December. It noted that a parolee cutting off an ankle monitor is considered an administrative violation. It leads to an arrest warrant, but no criminal penalty. The report and now the governor call on lawmakers to toughen those penalties. Back in July, commissioners in Hayes County, south of Austin, approved a plan to allow judges to release inmates before trial and use ankle monitors to keep track of them. It's an effort to address jail overcrowding. Previously, the county only used ankle monitors to track people on probation. As lawmakers prepare to head back to the Capitol, rural communities hope this is the year the state will invest more into their mental health care needs. The plans to increase options for the millions of Texans who don't live near a big city. First, a nonpartisan group pushing lawmakers to address challenges facing our state, how they're working to move beyond party division to find solutions. The new legislative session brings renewed efforts to tackle some of the long-term challenges facing the state, from jobs to education, the workforce to water needs. There are calls to work towards solutions. For Insight, we're joined by John Harchuk, Senior Vice President for Policy and Advocacy for Texas 2036. Welcome. Good to be here. So for our viewers that may not be familiar with Texas 2036, tell us a little bit about your organization. Texas 2036 is a nonpartisan nonprofit that uses data rather than ideology to try to solve some long-term challenges facing our state as we prepare for, prepare for our bicentennial in 2036. Well, we've reported on the deep divisions over policy in Texas, but your group finds that there are some areas where Texans agree on what needs to be done. What are some of those areas of agreement? You know, across the board on a lot of these nonpartisan issues, um, Texans agree on how we can spend this surplus to really advance major investments to make our state more productive in the future. Things like uh, investing in water infrastructure, uh, things like better aligning our uh, community college system to meet the workforce challenges of our future. And how do those really match up with what you see as priorities that could come out of this session? You know, I think there is a great opportunity this session for a, a fundamental overhaul of how our community college system is financed. Better aligning the program offerings to the demands of employers and good paying jobs that graduates, when they obtain their degree or credential, can go out and get a family sustaining wage. Uh, the revenue estimate that's coming out on Monday is expected to show the state has more money available than ever before. Texas 2036 has put a spotlight on using some of that funding for water infrastructure. Yeah. What are the needs you see there? You know, our state has um, faced in recent years some very high profile challenges. Um, historically, we thought a lot about the availability of water, and that is still a long-term challenge for us, but also the physical infrastructure. When we have cities across the state that are dealing with uh, bursting pipes, leaking pipes, pumps, 
All these challenges, the water boil notices in Houston and Austin and Midland and Laredo, these are big systemic problems that are going to take investment that uh, much easier to address in the front end than waiting until the crisis occurs to address. Your group has also put an emphasis on improving the community college system, as you mentioned. What's your focus there, a little bit more specific than what you had mentioned before? You know, the thing about our community college system is right now 0.2% of all the funding in our community college formulas is uh, dictated by does the graduate get a job in a career field that is high demand for Texas employers. And when we're able to marry together the idea that, you know, this is good for the student and this is good for the employers, that's how we grow the Texas economy. That's how we get families to build generational wealth and really advance equity throughout our state. Uh, we've heard for years that the state and, and its employees need higher pay. Uh, the record revenue estimate could make uh, raises more likely. Do you see this as a priority for lawmakers this session? It, it should absolutely be a priority for lawmakers to address both state legislative pay for their staffs, but also for state agencies, because there are real consequences when our state agencies can't hire and retain high quality talent. When we think about the um, major electricity bills, for example, that were passed last session, the Public Utilities Commission has been struggling to hire regulatory attorneys to implement those bills two years later. Mm -hmm. um, the legislature will have a chance with this budget to go through and strategically invest in itself and its people so that the state can better serve the people of Texas. Well, what needs to happen to reach some of these goals? What kind of response are you getting from lawmakers when you've been talking to them ahead of the session? Uh, it has been uh, very warmly received and understanding that um, at the end of the day, uh, it is humans who are in the state agencies doing this work. Um, and that investing in Texas means not just investing in you know, the pipes and the roads, but investing in the people of Texas, the workforce broadly to grow the economy, but also the workforce to serve the people of Texas and provide that excellent customer service that they want to provide. All right, John Hartuck with Texas 2036. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Texas lawmakers looking for answers when it comes to meeting the state's need for mental health care. We really haven't learned how to provide uh, the needs for our rural communities as we should. The plans to increase options for the millions of Texans who don't live near a big city. As lawmakers prepare to head back to the Texas Capitol, rural communities are hoping this is the year the state will invest more into their mental health care needs. Rural Texas is home to more than 3 million people, but many are hundreds of miles away from reliable mental health services. Capitol reporter Ryan Chandler looks at how leaders hope to find a solution. I can tell you some sad, sad stories. Nancy Tanner has seen the worst of Texans' struggles with mental health. As the Potter County judge, she's handled over 5,000 cases. Few have a happy ending. I had a lady come in, she was in her 80s, and she needed some help with her grandson. He was schizophrenic. It took me four months. Finally got him in an institution, state hospital. He stayed for a little while, came back. Sadly, he committed suicide last year. It's those stories that make Judge Tanner hopeful 2023 is the year Texas invests more into rural mental health. Of the 25 counties she oversees for mental health cases, the closest mental hospital is more than 200 miles away in Wichita Falls. This session, Lieutenant Governor Patrick is set on changing that. As I travel around the state, I've seen the need. We don't have a mental health care facility in the Panhandle. So I'm proposing we build one there. 
Patrick says that of the 2,500 mental health care beds in Texas, a thousand of them are empty because they don't have a nurse. That's why he's asking for more than $2 billion to put hundreds more beds and bodies into facilities in Amarillo, El Paso, the Rio Grande Valley, Wichita Falls, and more. We really haven't learned how to provide uh, the needs for our rural communities as we should. Dr. Stephen Bain leads the Institute for Rural Mental Health, a first of its kind initiative focusing on putting highly educated mental health professionals into rural areas. And then also developing cutting edge, innovative programs that will uh, support uh, rural mental health initiatives. For Judge Tanner, she has a medical school and land already donated for a new hospital in Amarillo. All she's waiting on now is Austin. I don't want to hear people tell me, well, he killed himself or, well, I, I can't find him. This is what we have to stop. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. As we wrap up this week, we want to tell you about a few things we're offering to help you keep track of the big stories in state politics. Check out our Texas Politics newsletter. It's a quick way to catch up on the top stories of the week. And now you can listen to State of Texas with our new weekly podcast. We have links online now. Look for them in the Texas Politics section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.